Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast where we cover everything from crypto trading and investing to NFTs, decentralized finance, and so much more. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell financial products. Hey, Unstackers, thanks for tuning in to this bonus episode. Lots of you are probably worried about the current market volatility and trying to figure out how to navigate the current market conditions. Mark Lamb, CEO of CoinFlex, joins me on the pod to discuss this, and he even gives some advice for those looking to be diamond hands in crypto. So make sure to stay tuned to the end for that. As always, none of this is financial advice, D-Y-O-R. Let's get to it. Hey, Mark, thanks for taking a few minutes to hop on Crypto Unstacked for a quick rundown on what's been happening in the crypto markets. So Mark, what's the 101 take on the reason behind the recent bloodshed? I'd basically say that fear created selling, which created more fear, which created more selling. And that process is often the process of markets and how the market cycles work. Basically, as you think about the current regime and what's been happening over the last few weeks, you start to get a sense of, of really what's going on. Okay, so let's dig in here a bit and get a more meaty look at the reasons why we saw such a sudden market whiplash. How would you explain to traders what's been happening? A big part of this, I think, stems from a few main concepts, AMMs and options vaults, which are a form of uh, selling volatility, and we'll get into that. And then also correlation to equities, the Fed, leverage, and a few other phenomenon are all kind of involved in, in what's happened here. And so I would start off with these AMMs, which CoinFlex has an AMM called AMM Plus. And there's obviously Uniswap and many other automated market makers. An automated market maker is basically a product where you put in capital and it buys more and more and more of something on the way down and it sells out of that thing on the way up. And an options vault is similar to this, but it's, it's effectively you're agreeing to buy something if the price goes down to X price or you're agreeing to sell something if, if the price goes up to that price. And in exchange for that agreement, you get paid premium. Um, and that's what's called an option. And in DeFi, you have these options vaults where people are selling options to buyers, typically market makers. And these options vaults have liquidity mining programs. So that means Ribbon Finance and Theta Nuts and other of these types of options vaults are actually paying out tokens to people that are selling these options. And AMMs are similarly incentivizing people to sell volatility as well. So you have these incentives to sell volatility. And as a result, you've seen a lot of passive investors and individual investors basically selling volatility in the form of deploying assets into automated market making products. When you have a lot of this type of behavior where end users are selling volatility and they're effectively short volatility, market makers will often hedge this type of activity by buying dips and selling rallies. So market makers are kind of playing the ranges and this type of activity by market makers is called gamma hedging. Gamma hedging effectively is a way for the market makers to make money off of the volatility that they've bought. Now, the problematic scenario or interesting scenario that happens is that creates a range-bound behavior of crypto trading. 
piled onto that, you often, when you start entering this range bound behavior from a bunch of people selling volatility, you have other people that may do leverage trading and they be, they might be uh, buying dips with leverage to sell out of the upcoming slight rally, which might even be a one, 2% rally again with leverage. When everyone is expecting this thing and then crypto for other reasons goes out of this range or below this range significantly, it can lead to a really sharp move. So when everyone's selling volatility and you have a price movement up, it can create an exacerbated move up. But in this case, we had a price movement down and then that price movement down actually led to a much bigger move down. So part of that was because of liquidations. Part of that was because of the nature of people's options exposure. Part of that was the, the leverage traders buying these dips and selling these rallies got liquidated as well. And basically when everyone's one, one-sided and when everyone's positioned a certain way and you have a sharp move, then everyone can be scrambling to get out all at once. The other problem is basically a correlation between crypto and equities. And a lot of people talk about this as if it's, just intuitive as to what that means. So for everyone who doesn't know what, what that means or why that comes about, I'll just explain why this happens. Basically, when crypto is held by people who also hold stocks and one of them goes down, so let's say stocks go down, a lot of the time people will sell some crypto uh, in order to buy more stocks. They might feel overweight crypto if stocks have gone down and crypto hasn't, and they, they might feel underweight stocks. And so they sell a bit of crypto to buy some more stocks. Similarly, you can have people that are running a bit of leverage so that their portfolio might be slightly levered long stocks and crypto. And when one of them goes down, the other goes down and then they have to sell the other one or both or what have you. And so either just portfolios or leverage can create some real correlation between these two asset classes. And generally speaking right now, people are holding crypto like a risk asset. So they're holding it uh, and they're also holding stocks and they're also holding tech stocks. When generally speaking, risk assets go down, they go down together as a result of this phenomenon. So you had correlation that was caused by the Fed. And in this case, it's the expectation that the Fed may raise rates, the expectation that the Fed may tighten uh, the quantitative easing that they've been doing for the last 10 years. The uncertainty that investors have is, well, is this the beginning of a large tightening or is it going to be a little bit of a tightening? When the Fed is not tightening or when the Fed is not talking about raising rates, investors generally assume that what's been happening is going to keep happening. And so they, they assume inertia. They assume the thing that happened the last few months, you know, the Fed printing lots of money and buying lots of bonds and, and, and putting money into the, the equities markets via this mechanism is going to keep happening. And so when that's the case, investors assume it's going to keep going. It's actually a similar dynamic to the range where when you go out of this range, you can have a sharp correction, even just from everyone betting on the range. Well, when you go out of this expectation that the Fed is going to keep printing money and the Fed is going to keep the monetary policy a certain way, you can all often have investors assuming the worst, investors assuming not just an end to the buying of bonds, but an actual contraction of the balance sheet not just a raising of rates, but an actual dramatic raising of rates. And, and you don't know, right? If, if uh, the Fed is controlling these outcomes, the Fed is controlling what they're going to do next month, next quarter, next year. We don't know as investors whether it's going to be a small move, a minute adjustment, or a really drastic one. And so 
that's where you get people panicking and people selling stocks. And as a result of the selling of stocks, people selling crypto. And as a result of the selling of crypto, people selling stocks, etc. You know, people are really blaming liquidations for this. They're blaming leverage in the market for this. And it is true that those things are to blame partially, but actually also a big part of this most recent move down this past weekend was actually spot led. So it was actually people selling coins themselves. And um, in part, it's because maybe investors are realizing that fully diluted value is not a meme. What do I mean by that? You know, there are some coins with, with huge supply relative to the circulating supply, and they, they're at risk of being uh, continually sold, sold at lower and lower and lower prices by the insiders and different early investors that bought that supply in type of, you know, pre-sale type of deals. So, you know, fully diluted value isn't a meme, and a lot of people are waking up to that. Up only, this kind of, this kind of regime of crypto prices are just going to keep going up. Maybe people are waking up to that might not necessarily be the case. And so now I think you have a lot of crypto investors panicking, a lot of crypto investors wondering maybe they should completely get out. Maybe all this stuff is completely worthless. And what you often happen, have happen is uh, an overreaction. And we've seen this time and time again. But the really big question for long-term and short-term investors and traders in crypto is, is this a temporary move? Or are we going to, is the bull market over? And are we going to have three years of a bear market. You know, we had 2013 uh, to 2017. That was effectively a three-year bear market where for several years, it seemed like no one cared about Bitcoin anymore. And then in 2017, that really changed in a big way. But after that, you know, there were, there were two, almost three years, this kind of meme of three years repeats itself, where it really seemed like no one cared about crypto. And then, you know, obviously 2020 and 2021, uh, change that drastically. So the question is, is this meme going to repeat itself? And are we going to have a period of three years where it seems like no one's going to care about crypto again? There are those two outcomes. One is the bull market continues. This was just temporary. Uh, the other one is um, there's going to be a three-year bear market. And the other outcome that maybe no one's thinking about, but might end up being the most likely, is that crypto just starts behaving a bit more like a normal market and we don't have this cataclysmic three-year winter, but we also don't have a parabolic move to hugely high prices in the two biggest names in the market, BTC and ETH. And so the question is, do we enter a different type of market regime where the main two coins might not have these types of outsized returns, but also other coins that are... Um, you know, maybe not as mature projects or actually scams or actually problematic projects start getting priced in appropriately. And so they may, might drop 99% and fall off the face of the earth. And rather than a market where everything is correlated and everything is um, going up together and everything is going down together, we could have this new regime where, you know, especially over the longer time frames, people realize that correlation of a bunch of different assets that all have technically crypto in common doesn't make as much sense. This definitely could be the start of some weird period where people think that crypto is, is stupid. You know, that would obviously be a mistake. Crypto is the future of money. Crypto is basically the best form of money that the world has ever seen. When it comes to the type of uh, censorship res resistance that you have with these coins, 
the ability to be sent around the world instantly, the ability to be programmed into DeFi, uh, smart BCH was obviously a very exciting component of that, but, but things on Ethereum, things on Avalanche, things on a lot of different blockchains are really unstoppable types of financial markets. And that's not even something we had in the 2017 bull market. That's not even something we had in, in many parts of the periods after that. And so the question is really what happens next that's effectively what the market is going to have to re realize and, and learn from, and that's what the market's going to have to discover. But I think probably one of the most interesting crypto markets would be one where correlations just go down and one where different coins get valued in a more mature way where it's, in, it's not necessarily all up and all down together. The interesting and more mature outcome might not be the one that actually ends up happening, but... Uh, that's kind of the, the crypto market that I'd love to see. So what does this mean for crypto yield opportunities? If we can't rely on the types of DeFi yield farming opportunities that we saw back in 2020 and much of 2021, what types of yield opportunities can people rely on in the current market conditions where they might have to figure out ways to earn more sustainable yields? A big part of the yield in DeFi is actually coming from the printing of governance tokens. And so it's not unlike the Fed printing more dollars, but the difference is dollars are obviously an internationally recognized global currency. Many of these DeFi governance tokens that are getting printed and rewarded to stakers and lockers are new assets, brand new assets in many cases that, that have been around for two weeks or, or uh, six months or something. And so these new assets, you know, there's no way to fundamentally value them. And the risk is that if these projects are, are handing them out to all these stakers and all these users, the risk is that these users actually mostly care about the rewards, the governance tokens, and don't actually care about using the product. And so they're just going to sell the governance tokens as soon as they get them from the products, from the project. So that's the real risk of a lot of these farming yields. And that's why I think you've seen yields com come down and compress. And probably what's going to happen, what we view is likely to happen, is the yield will shift. The yield opportunities will shift towards anywhere that's creating non-inflationary based yield. So FlexUSD is a good product. That's an example of this. The yield from FlexUSD is not coming from FlexCoin inflation or any type of unsustainable reward. It's basically coming from the futures markets. So the more people are holding long futures positions, the more people are borrowing from our repo market, the more people are utilizing our funding and our cross-collateral and borrowing dollars this way or being long futures this way, the more people pay interest to FlexUSD and the more the interest rates on FlexUSD go up or are scalable to a larger amount of dollars. That is something that will be around in most market conditions, but is also totally not subject to the price of any governance token. Stuff like that, wh whether it's investing in some type of market maker or automated market maker, a DeFi options vault, or anything that's related to borrowing and lending, anything that's related to financing leverage, that's the type of yield that's likely going to be what we call crypto yield 2.0 and, and really the, the next generation of yield. The stuff that's going on right now, in many cases, will actually fade away and, and will not be sustainable. What's your one parting advice to investors who want to be 
diamond hands in crypto or those who consider themselves diamond hands in crypto already? What's your one advice? I think you have to come up with a valuation framework for what you think your token is. And the tokens you are investing in, I think the best thing to do is to almost imagine there is no price. Imagine what you would pay for this token if there was an empty order book and there was no bids and no offers in the order book. What, what do you think it's worth? What would you buy it at and what would you sell it at? And those prices might be really far apart, but if you were the only person that was bidding and offering in this coin, what would you pay? What do you think it's truly worth? And I did this when I got into Bitcoin. I, uh, I said, well, if Bitcoin replaces the US dollar, it's worth around, at the time, there were fewer dollars around, so it's worth around $3 million. Now that number would be around $4.5 million. But it's, it's worth around $3 million if, if it replaces the dollar. What are the odds of it replacing the dollar? I just uh, put it at 1%. And so I said, well, if I can buy Bitcoin at under $30,000, I will do that. And I'll, I'll profit from Bitcoin eventually realizing its, its fair value. The way I think people should be thinking about these markets is really, let's say you own an exchange coin. Okay, what are the cash flows of that exchange coin? What are the, what are the volumes of that exchange? What are the fundamentals involved? If you own a DeFi governance coin that might govern a lending protocol, what's the yield that accrues to that governance token? And if there was no price, do you think the price is way overvalued? Do you think it's way undervalued? And why? And you can't just look at the market cap according to a lot of these websites, you have to look at the fully diluted market cap. So, and, and also looking at who's holding the coin. So is it a lot of people that bought the coin um, uh, at a prices that were maybe 1% of the price today that are getting their coins unlocked and they're gonna sell them? Or is, was it issued fairly on the, on the market to everyone over a period of many years? You know, how did the coin get issued? Who's owning it now? What's, what's, the, uh, what's the incentive model to hold it? And what's the cash flow associated? And, and if it's a blockchain, if it's a layer one, um, you know, is the usage real or is it fake metrics that are effectively being generated by the projects themselves? It's, it's difficult to measure a lot of these things for good reason. If there's a super measurable way to measure the success of a token, um, that way might get faked and, and get faked to, for the purposes of trying to pump up the valuation of that token. These are, I think, the important things to look at when you're investing in crypto, whether it's Ethereum and Bitcoin and, and things like that, or whether it's exchange tokens or, or DeFi tokens. I would say that it's important to look at all these things and then think about what you'd pay for these things in the absence of a market. And if what you'd pay for is drastically less or the best deal you can get in crypto, you know, rank them. If, if something's worth 60 in your view and you can get it for six, that's a hell of a lot better than something that's worth, uh, you know, 300 and you can only get it for 250. You know, rank them by those things and, and rank them by how much margin of safety you think there is. And, and it's all guesses, but it's important to do these types of guesses to come up with your own framework for holding coins. Because when you think about something based on a chart or based on a, you know, what other people are telling you about, about it, when that chart changes, when that chart goes from green, green, green to red, 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 you know, you're gonna be tempted to sell. But if you've come up with a framework around why something is worth what it should be worth, then the day-to-day -day fluctuations really don't matter because 
you have your fundamentals and then all you can look at is whether the fundamentals have changed and then you know if they haven't changed or they're even improving then you can get guidance from the market and the world on whether to add to your position or not or even whether to sell out so i think that's that's the way that people should be investing in crypto unfortunately that's often not the way they're investing in crypto people make all kinds of mistakes like looking too much at charts or even like um, another common mistake you have is someone won't buy BTC or Ethereum because they think the price is really high compared to another coin, which might be $1, but the supply might be enormous. So maybe the, ac maybe the actual market caps are pretty similar or, or not too far off from each other. And I think that's why you know, Doge became very popular. It was a coin that was prominently listed in a lot of places, but it had a very low unit value. And so you could create this, uh, this narrative around ETH being too expensive and Doge being cheaper. There are a lot of pitfalls in crypto investing, whether it's that one, which is called unit bias, or whether it's looking at market cap but not looking at circulating, or whether it's just getting, getting freaked out and psychologically stressed by a chart that goes from looking really good to looking really bad.